Good morning, Little Masters, and welcome back to today's Tolkien Times. I'm the Man of the West, also from the Prancing Pony Podcast, and let's keep Week 19 going with today's Tolkien Tuesday. Now, this series, we're going back to Tolkien's youth and taking a look at the friendships he formed, especially with the others of the Immortal Four of the TCBS, Christopher Wiseman, G.B. Smith, and Rob Gilson. And as I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks, nobody has researched this set of relationships more thoroughly and explained them better than John Garth did in Tolkien and the Great War. But before I dive back into his work, I want to encourage you to please visit his website, johngarth.co.uk, where you can not only order Tolkien and the Great War, but his other incredible works like Tolkien at Exeter College or the gorgeous volume, The Worlds of J.R.R. Tolkien. And you can also get the audiobook version of Tolkien and the Great War, which John narrates masterfully. To be honest, it's a whole lot better than how I'm reading it. Now, I'm going to be bouncing around a bit more than I have before. I'm going to be pulling sections from the first full chapter. That rugby match story came from his prologue as we get to know Tolkien and his friends a bit more. I'm going to start with some of Tolkien's early years. Garth tells us that Tolkien learned to read by the age of four and absorbed the children's books that were then popular. Now, I can't think any of us are too surprised that Tolkien learned to read at a young age, but perhaps it might be a surprise to learn that by age 11, a priest from the oratory told his mother, Mabel, Tolkien had read too much of the classics and that he, this priest, no longer had any single classical thing to recommend him. He's read it all. He's done. Still, as Garth explains, it was Tolkien's study of classics, particularly through school exercises translating English verse into Latin or Greek, that Tolkien's taste for poetry was awakened, end quote. Which is interesting, given that Garth also tells us that, just like me, Tolkien habitually skipped any verse he encountered in the books he read as a child. Okay, maybe I kept doing that way past my childhood, but at least I feel like I'm in good company. Apparently, though, his teacher had tried to get him interested in the big names of English poetry. But it was Francis Thompson who, Garth says, won Tolkien's passionate approval for his metrical and verbal accomplishments, his immense imagery, and the visionary faith underpinning his work. But classics and poetry weren't all that intrigued young Ronald. And here, I'm going to go ahead and read from Garth again. He showed unusual linguistic propensities, in particular a keen sensitivity towards the characteristic sounds of different languages. His mother had started teaching him French and Latin before he went to school, but neither of these languages particularly appealed to him. At eight, however, I'm just going to say that again, at eight, the strange names on railway coal trucks had given him a taste for Welsh. He was also taken by what he called the fluidity of Greek, punctuated by hardness and with its surface glitter. In fact, by the age of 10, Tolkien was learning Greek and also, because Tolkien, reading Geoffrey Chaucer. Because aren't we all reading Chaucer by 10? But it was Tolkien's acquisition of Chambers' etymological dictionary that changed things. Of course it did. Garth writes, This opened a new world for Tolkien, and it's the world of philology. Now, while most of us don't think about the history of the languages we use, young Tolkien was already doing just that. As Garth puts it, contemplating the evidence by reading Chaucer's Middle English. The etymological dictionary had exposed Tolkien to one of the most famous philological laws, Grimm's Law. As Garth explains, Jacob Grimm, nearly a century earlier, had codified the complex of regular changes that produced, for example, the words pater in Greek and pater in Latin, but father in English and fater in Old High German, all from a single unrecorded root. I'm probably mispronouncing some of those words. Hopefully not father. 
These, though not all languages, were demonstrably related in ways that were open to rational analysis, Garth explains. Furthermore, by comparing them, it was possible to reconstruct elements of their ancestral language, Indo-European, a language from before the dawn of history that had left no record whatsoever. This was heady stuff for a young boy, but it would shape his life. Yes, yes, it most certainly would. Tolkien had already begun to invent languages of his own. Someday I'll introduce a secret vice here on Tolkien Tuesdays, an incredible work edited by Drs. Demetra Femi and Andrew Higgins. Tolkien's passion for philology would end up being a driving force behind the creation of his elvish languages, which in turn led to his creation of the legendarium. That's a story for another time, though, as this wraps up Tolkien Tuesday. Next week, we'll learn about his passionate arguments about philology with fellow TCBS member Christopher Wiseman, the other half of the Great Twin Brethren. Now, as I prep for these episodes, I am reminded just what an incredible project Garth's book is. The amount of research and work that he had to do in order to bring these rich details to us is, well, it's a lot. Folks, if you don't own a copy of Tolkien and the Great War, fix that by going to johngarth.co.uk. And please, consider supporting John's future work by signing up on Steady. I'm proud to be a supporter, and I hope you'll consider doing the same. Please visit patreon.com slash Tolkien Times to learn how you can support this show and get an ad-free feed, a monthly hangout with me, a bonus weekly episode, and a lot more. Finally, join me again tomorrow on today's Tolkien Times for Word Nerd Wednesday. If you're watching this on YouTube, please be sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications. Please follow or subscribe in your podcast apps and follow at Tolkien Times on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Finally, as Faramir says, go with the goodwill of all good men.